We all know that the model in which social housing has been produced in the last 25 years needs to change. I think it's going to go in the direction of smaller projects, more flexible, more organic, and hopefully with a higher level of empowerment. Hello, and welcome to Tete a Tete, the Rice Architecture podcast series. I'm your host, Lindsay Chambers, and today's episode features an interview with Cyrilla Segu and Armando Hashimoto of El Cielo, an architecture and urban design office based in Mexico City. Founded in 2001, El Cielo has experience in the public, private, and academic sectors through work on urban development, architecture, and housing projects, policies, and programs. Their work has been exhibited at the Beijing Biennial, the Venice Biennale, and exhibits on contemporary Mexican architecture, among others. We're excited to share a conversation recorded this spring with Cirilla and Armando as they came to Houston for Disruptive Housing, New Paradigms in Mexican Collective Living, a symposium held by Rice Architecture Associate Professor Jesus Vasallo. We talked about design in the module, incorporating spaces for collectivity and urban design, and the future of housing in Mexico. Let's dive in. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for the invitation. We're very happy to be here. So what goals did you have in establishing your own practice when you first started out? We did our graduate school at Columbia University, and we stayed in New York for f- like about four years. So we, we were coming back to Mexico when we started our own office. So I think, f- to be very honest, one of the objectives was to survive. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I think from the beginning, we were committed to trying to make some impact, not just in terms of the architectural projects, but also socially. It was sort of related to the idea of coming back to put our own practice, no? different from being there and establishing the practice. I would say also that after working at Infonavit, which is a National Housing Fund for uh, Workers. We can say that we are in um, El Cielo 2.0. I think it's a a new version of the office after this great experience. So I think that in all our projects, we want to improve the piece or the area where we are designing, including public spaces, uh, taking into account different things like the public scale, the the materials that we are using, the vegetation, the security that we provide for the users in terms of light and visibility and how the different users can relate in a better way to the project and how each project in any scale that we work contribute urbanistically to the city. Were architecture and urban design ideas that you were interested in when you first founded the firm, or did that kind of get tacked on when you got to the, I I guess you would call it the 2.0 phase of the firm? Like, it was something that you, after you had done the research and worked at Infonavit, you really took that on a little bit more. I've been always interested in the urban scale. After I finished my architecture, I went straight to work at the municipality of Monterey. And after that experience, I decided to do the master in architecture and urban design. So I think that that's something that has been there 
at least for me, and I think that I brought that into into our office since the beginning. Um, but it's true that we definitely work more at the urban scale at Infonavit, and then now we have more projects on that scale. So to talk a little bit more about scale, how do you think scale factors into your work? Do you ever encounter any challenges when you're shifting from ideas of maybe smaller architectural projects or when you're thinking about urban design schemes or how do you really like design for different scales or things that you see are similar across scales or something like that? As architects, I think that we are trained to look at complex problem from different points of view and involving different actors, I would say, or stakeholders. You just have to zoom in or zoom out. But I think that the approach could be the same. I think that architecture and the practice that we do, probably because we are a couple, it's kind of like integrated into our life. We don't separate between like practice and our home and and our family, etc. And probably because of that, we, we think that architecture and city or urbanism, it's very similar. So we already talked a little bit about this, but you both worked at InfoNavit for several years, kind of at the middle of the practice. And during that time, some of the things that you were doing was research, developing tools like the Housing Deterioration Index to measure the impact of social housing. So how do you think some of your findings from this research have influenced your perceptions of social housing as an architect? I was in charge of putting together the urban development area at Infonavit, which is a national institution. So we had the opportunity to travel the country and visit many housing developments and getting into contact of the real conditions of the inhabitants, which in many occasions, I think that is, you don't have that opportunity. And we found that at Infonavit that a lot of people work from their offices. And I think that it it was for us really important to go to the site and visit the real and understand the real conditions. And to me, that helped me to understand that we have huge opportunities as architects and urban designers to participate in many ways in, in the affordable housing realm. And I learned that architecture is just a piece in the housing process. And we can have an impact in that process, a positive impact. So we are trying to, to take advantage of that knowledge. And we found also that it's not unique to Mexico. We have, I would say, a um, worldwide crisis in affordable housing. So I think that definitely our experience at Infonavit changed our perspective, particularly in terms of affordable housing. It made us question our practice in particular, but as Sureya was saying, also the role of architecture in terms of a change maker. As an architect, there's maybe other ways additional to the, what we understand as a project that we can have some impact in people's lives in terms of their space and their urban environment in their house and so on. So in our practice, we are expanding this time into doing consulting, for example, in public policy. And we're also looking into ways into which 
in terms of media we can uh, discuss or depict how is it that changes should be made or what is it that things that should be taken care of or so on but this comes with the understanding that it's not only by doing projects that we have impact i want to add that we we have a stronger social commitment now we also think more uh, on the city impact in any kind of project that we do and we are expanding i think our um, work by researching now into the informal production of housing or the self-built housing trying to understand how we can create a different way of producing housing in a massive way and i think we also have developed a sensitivity to what is happening in other countries in the global south we're sort of very sensitive to seeing some similar mistakes in terms of social housing as we did in Mexico in the past 25 or 30 years happening in some other countries. When you brought up in your talk your research about formal versus informal housing where the formal is more of the housing produced by the government and then the informal is housing produced um, by the owners themselves. I guess my understanding of it was that you were trying to research ways in which, in some cases in the formal housing, people don't necessarily get to make decisions on how their spaces are being used, how they're being going to be built, but they do have the advantages of there's usually more infrastructure involved in formal housing, more government involvement with formal housing. So you're kind of trying to find a way to merge those two structures so people get more choices and maybe more freedom about how their spaces are being built, but they also come with the infrastructure and kind of the security involved with that sometimes. Yes, and, and what has been happening in Mexico and many Latin American countries, and I mean, we visit uh, Addis Ababa in, in Ethiopia, and they are beginning to build this kind of development, which you have a landscape of similar single-family homes in the formal sector. They have services. I mean, they have infrastructure like water, uh, light, etc., but they don't have even a public space or urban uh, infrastructure. So in one hand, you can access more housing, but then you lose some of the benefits of being in a self-built community where usually you have your family clothes and your your friends, so there is this social uh, network that exists already. I think that we are trying to analyze what are the best things in each world and trying to find a way to merge them and come up with different solutions. One of the main issues is scale. I mean, is there a way in which housing can be produced with proper infrastructure and so on without making 4,000 houses of the same type. You know, it's, it's almost like the code is the main driver of how thousands and thousands of people live. In the informal scheme, there's also the opportunity of people to be engaged with what they built. You know, things get built with endless discussions with the family members or they're thinking on the future of their children or they're thinking, you know, so there's all this other uh, world of 
interaction that then becomes what they build that makes the built thing much more sort of part of their own way of life or the way they see their future and so on. So if there would be possible that all that energy or creativity or differentiation be managed in a way to produce housing, but at the scale that is needed, we will increase, I guess, the percentage of people more fulfilled with their living conditions. And maybe to talk a little bit more about type and scale um, and some of the ways that you design for that. You have these two proposals for projects. One is the rural regional house prototype and the other is the big ideas for small lots. One deals with a single family house, the other deals with multifamily housing, but they both use a system of modules to design different spaces or different units that then locate themselves within a larger structural framework. Do you think this approach to design is a way that you have just started to develop general prototypes? That's just how you design something that you think could be deployed over and over and over again? Or do you think that your design process has kind of shifted to really use modules as a way to have space be more flexible? Since we are looking at how we can produce better housing in a massive scale. We've been testing this idea of module in terms of the basic elements that the house needs to have, and then to create a framework for the expansion and the changes that we know that house is going to experience. In the single family home, we know that the people need to have other kind of space, not just the the house itself, but this shade that we propose help them to create very quickly and in a very cheap way with any materials that they have at hand, that they can produce a different space. And even if it's a small shop or a workshop or a beauty salon or whatever kind of space a commercial space or a more or adding a room it's easier to add and in the case of the multifamily home building the proposal there was to be able to have a framework where you can be more particular so i think that we are trying to find a way where you can produce massively but with the flexibility that allows any user or or the specific site to change, to convert that project into something particular to the site or to the needs of the user. Another thing that we learn is that every community is different, every user is different, and they need different things. So I think that we are trying to understand until what extent you as an architect design something and then leave space or a framework for the people, the user, to change it. The rural housing had to do with the idea of a program that might make some of these houses repeatedly, not in the sense of a housing development one next to the other, but single ones scattered in some rural areas in Mexico. And in that case, it also had to do with the rural life and 
how the open space could be used. But uh, I think in general terms, we should sort of give away a little bit the idea of control in the sense that we as architects need to do the project until the very single decision about how people use their space and how you know the project built looks and so on i think the modular th allows for some uncertainty and sort of discontrol or disorganization that can let in some other factors that you might not be able to pre-visualize in some of these projects i i want to add that we can get more free with some decisions, particularly with the apartments or the home space. But I think that we need to tailor the space for collectivity. So specifically to each community and to be able to provoke and induce encounters to generate interaction between people. So there are things that we need to take care of or take on more control and then others that we can leave more open. And I think when you brought up collectivity, one of the interesting things was one of the projects you presented yesterday was the sports park, which is part of the urban improvement program, which really is also almost using this system of modules to allow different recreational activities to be inserted as needed or as the community can kind of afford to add them. And I guess I'm just wondering, what do you think the impact of even moves like that, like providing more free programmed space that's outside and more public for people in some of these projects that are already existing as well? We were invited 2004 to the Beijing Biennale, and the information that we got about the space, it was really chaotic. Like we have a plan that doesn't match the elevation and the photos. And so we didn't know exactly what kind of, of space and the size of the space. So we, our proposal was to print some inflatables with the projects we wanted to show. And then this proposal could adapt to any space because we can put as many inflatables as possible at, as they fit or remove them if the space was smaller. So I think that whenever you have a lack of clarity in the program or in the budget in this case, in the case of the public space, the strategy of adding and removing these circles help us to, to finish the, the project in a flexible way, I would say. So we've touched on a lot of different themes in your work, dealing with architecture, urban design. You talked about how you want to incorporate ideas of how you can better society in these works. And I think that really highlights the strength of the architect as being a generalist, being able to be knowledgeable in all these different areas. So do you think there was anything about your architectural education that gave you these tools to really enter into different discourses across disciplines, maybe talking about public policy, finance, um, within the context of housing? I think our whole experience will add to that and probably our personal interest. I think in, in when we study architecture, it was more about architecture itself, like more about the object. But when we have the opportunity to live in New York, that 
open up, particularly to me when I did the urban design masters, helped me to understand and connect any kind of decision that I do in the architectural realm into the city. It was really, I think probably there, that helped me to understand that you cannot see just one piece of land uh, isolated. But I had this interest before, I mean, so I, I'm not sure. And then when we went to Infonavit, that was really the um, experience to help me understand that we really need to work in a more extended realm than just architecture, I would say. I think the architectural education gives you the ability to make it real somehow. No, either if it's a program or or a project, you need to deliver. And I guess in general, but our, in particular our experience uh, doing the work where we were doing as sort of housing officials was you have to also deal with lots of pressure and somehow you have the sense that even if you don't know exactly what you're doing at some point, you know that somehow everything is going to come up into some organized discourse. This is a really broad <coughs> question, but what do you really see for the future of housing in Mexico, especially given that you're already starting to kind of do some research and you've been involved with both the public realm and now working more in the private realm? What do you really think might happen? I think that we really need to focus the production of housing into the user to get more involvement in this kind of process from architects, but also from the community itself, from the user itself, that they have to participate, I mean, in the process, not just at the end, but they buy a house. And I think that there are some opportunities within the existing buildings or existing constructions already in the cities that we need to take advantage of that because in a lot of cases, those are the sites that they are served already. And another opportunity <coughs> is within the 67% of uh, self-built <coughs> housing that exists. We can participate in the development of those or in the improvement also. And I think that as much architects and urban designers can be involved in this process will be better because we need to come up with different uh, ways of producing housing. We need to be more creative and also recognize that there are different ways of inhabit a place now. No? So it's not just a single family home. I mean, the, the family as we knew 50 years ago. I think that we as architects and urban designers, we can be more positive in terms of other options. I think there's an agreement that local authorities or federal authorities or I would say even developers, architects, uh, we all know that the model in which social housing has been produced in the last 25 years needs to change. We don't need to convince anyone anymore, but I think we don't know how. Uh, how to really operate this and how to coordinate between government levels and cost of land and 
accessibility of housing and so on. Basically, there's no clear idea, I think, on how that change is going to look. So I think it's a pretty interesting moment. I also think that there's a more flexible scheme that is going to come up support or financial support for additions and um, renovations has been increasing and also some government officials have started to see how to support self-construction processes land policy is not that clear in mexico in terms of making land available for social housing projects so that also has to be part of the solution I think is going to go in the direction of smaller projects, more flexible, more organic, uh, organic in the sense of the process, and hopefully with a higher level of empowerment. Doing this in a massive scale is not that easy, but also we have more developed tools, I think, in general to manage a system that is less predictable. So I think I'm sort of optimistic that some solution or some model that it's um, it takes in, uh, into account more the need, the individual needs of people, but on a massive scale is possible. I think that we are in an interesting uh, time for that. I just want to thank uh, Jesus Basalio. Yeah. We are here at the end because of this disruptive housing uh, symposium uh, and I think the mix of conversations that he was able to put together was really interesting and informative and useful and fulfilling to be here so thank you to Rice and thank you to Jesus also thank, yeah, thank you, you. Thank you. <laughs> for more information on El Cielo's work Visit their website at lcielomx.com, or you can find them on Instagram. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review, and don't forget to subscribe to our page on your favorite platforms to keep up with new releases. I'm your host, Lindsay Chambers, and this has been Tete a Tete.